Today on the Everything 80s Podcast, the story of, and I can't stress this enough, one of the worst movies ever made, Mac and Me. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. So what do you get when you combine McDonald's, a beloved movie character, and an immense amount of product placement and put it on the big screen? You get Mac and Me. Mac and Me is a science fiction comedy film from 1988. It tells the story of an alien creature who actually comes to Earth and befriends a young boy in a wheelchair. It's considered one of the worst movies ever made and was a box office and critical failure. And that's what we're looking at today. A friendly reminder back that this thing actually existed. Before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. Okay, here we go. So where do you even start with this movie? If you've never seen it, um, you may be familiar if you're a fan of Paul Rudd and never watched him on Conan O'Brien. He constantly would use the same clip anytime he was trying to promote one of his movies. You've probably no doubt seen the actual image of the character of Mac. But what this is, is not just you know, an awful movie. It's one of the first real instances of product placement in a movie that goes over the top. And it's also about its combined partnership with McDonald's. And it's very evident as this goes on, but let's look at the, the plot here of the movie. So the movie is a combination obviously of ET, uh, but also a bit of ALF. It's got a bit of flight of the navigator thrown in for good mix. It starts out that NASA has landed a spacecraft on an unknown planet and is rummaging around for soil samples. Some aliens stumble across the ship and end up getting sucked into it. And they're stuck as it makes its way back to earth. Once back on earth, they escape from the NASA lab and the smallest one ends up hitching a ride in the van where a 12 year old boy in a wheelchair is also in. <clears throat> The boy is named Eric Cruz, and Mac, which stands for Mysterious Alien Creature, has still been hanging around their house, and he's getting into mayhem and trashing the place and all that stuff. Eric is trying to avoid him, but when he almost dies from his wheelchair rolling down a hill and almost launching him into a lake, Mac ends up saving his life. Eric knows Mac is a legit alien, um, and now they set out a trap in the house to try and capture him. They try to use a vacuum cleaner. Even though Mac saved his life, Eric still isn't convinced on the extraterrestrial's, um, you know, true intentions. They don't know if he's going to destroy the planet and them and all and whatever. Mac ends up fixing all the damage he caused in the house while leaving clues behind as a way to communicate. <clears throat> then there's some FBI agents like the Alien Task Force and ALF. They track down Mac to a birthday party happening at a local McDonald's where we get a full-on dance performance slash commercial which is one of the ultimate product placement scenes in any form of entertainment ever in history. The family decides to help Mac reunite with his family, which results in a shootout. We'll get to the unedited version of this at, uh, in a bit at the end. Eric ends up near an explosion and is killed, but Mac saves him, allowing the alien family to stay in society and get American citizenship. This is all real. Okay, let's look at the cast of Mac and Me because there's um, some pretty interesting actors and some of the other work they've done. So here's the uh, victim, sorry, cast of Mac and Me. Janet Cruz is played by Christine Ebersol. She was actually on Saturday Night Live in 1981 and 82. She was also in Three Men and a Baby. 
<clears throat> Michael Cruz was played by Jonathan Ward. He was in shows like Who's the Boss and Charles in Charge. Eric Cruz was played by Jade Caligori. Caligori he actually suffered from spina bifida and used a wheelchair in real life. And he actually performed the stunt where he rolls down the hill into the lake. Courtney was played by Tina Casperi. She was the original cast choice uh, for Kelly Bundy on Married with Children. She was also an Annie. The scientist was played by Barbara uh, Aline Bennett. The only thing you might know her from is she was the old lady on the garage sale episode of The Office that was trying to buy the slip and slide, if you remember that. Uh, and then Jack Jr. was played by Danny Cooksey. He appeared on Different Strokes and was the voice of Montana Max in Tiny Toon Adventures. So how did this movie get developed? Because I kept talking about product placement at McDonald's. So it starts with producer R.J. Lewis. He brought us some good movies like The Karate Kid. And with Mac and Me, um, it was thought up with some really good intentions. So this guy, Lewis, wanted to do a movie that actually gave back and that was associated with various charity, charities. Though this movie ended up uh, seemingly being a Coca-Cola and McDonald's commercial, the impetus of this movie was kind of, you know, trying to strike the right chord to feature McDonald's, um, you know, but not go too over the top, which it failed. But Lewis used to make McDonald's commercials when he worked in advertising. So that was part of what brought them on board. He also noticed how Ronald McDonald had become arguably one of the most recognized figures in the world. Also on that list was E.T., which was a juggernaut movie, of course, and character going into the mid-80s. I mean, E.T. Uh, broke the record for highest grossing movie, uh, beating Star Wars, where it held it till 1993, where Jurassic Park then beat it. So he thought, what if you combine all these things together? You know, the McDonald's and the E.T. and all that stuff. You could have a gold mine on your hand, you know, especially considering the popularity of E.T. and the amount of money it made. So Lewis put together the whole idea of this story of a mysterious alien creature or Mac and the basic layout of him and his family and all that sort of thing. There's no way to ignore the parallels with E.T., especially since the entire movie was influenced on um, E.T., that was, that's basically what they're trying to do is just a flagrant recreation. He thought the next generation needed their own version of E.T., even though it had only been like five years. So how did McDonald's get involved with all this? And actually, how did they take over this whole thing? Lewis claims that there was never any intent to have McDonald's be so closely involved with Mac and me, but it's hard to not see the collaboration or how it would get out of hand when you consider what McDonald's does. Even after having developed the idea of the movie, Lewis spent three years trying to bargain to get the movie and TV rights uh, with McDonald's. He had approached a lot of people at the company because of the connections he made from making commercials, and he tried to share his vision um, of what Mac and me would become and the charity aspect and that he could see cardboard cutouts of Mac at every restaurant, uh, McDonald's restaurant in, in North America. The movie and McDonald's would work hand in hand with being able to promote each other. He also pitched the idea of all the future video sales, which were not a thing at the time, but were now slowly becoming a thing. Um, you know, some people thought that was maybe a waste of time. He had a little bit of foresight to see that this was going to be a emerging market. The last thing is he said he wanted a percentage of the movie's profits um, to go to the work being done by the Ronald McDonald House. Like, again, like I said, good intentions originally with this movie. 
the interesting thing here is how this was one of the first times um, that it was seen that there was a full cross promotion between a movie and another company, you know, product placement and, and sponsor movies are commonplace now, but this really wasn't the case back then. Um, and product placement was very slight and almost celebrated. If you think of like Reese's pieces in ET, um, they weren't trying to hide it, but you know, it served the story and all that sort of stuff. But this is like a full on blown on cross promotion sort of thing. Even the idea of McDonald's interaction of movie toys in their Happy Meal wasn't a full-fledged-out idea yet. It was slowly starting to happen. Um, Dis- Disney hadn't even capitalized on this whole idea yet that they could take their movie characters and then put them into like the Happy Meal and then both giant companies could sponsor one another. Of course, this is a thing now, but it, w- it just hadn't fully happened yet. But this, you know, R.J. Lewis and the Mac and Me McDonald's crossover was one of the first to really put this into motion. So did McDonald's actually fund the movie? Well, yes and no. McDonald's didn't directly put up the money to help make this uh, get this thing made, but Golden State Foods did. Golden State Foods is the company that makes McDonald's meats, their special sauce, their ketchup, their vegetables, all that stuff. So, And they agreed to finance. So, you know, in a roundabout way. So an interesting note here, again, like I said, Disney hadn't fully got on board yet with the idea of, you know, the, the cross promotion with the Happy Meal and McDonald's. S- somehow they, they learned about this movie and the merchandising tie-ins that were happening. And then they saw that McDonald's was involved with this. And then it just something clicked and they went right to McDonald's and signed a three-year deal to put Disney toys in Happy Meals. Apparently, McDonald's wasn't too thrilled uh, too thrilled to be dealing now with Mac and Me, this unknown movie with this unknown character, because they had just landed the white whale in Disney. But they followed through on their agreement. So let's look at the production of Mac and Me. A guy named Stuart uh, Raphael, who's a British screenwriter and director, was brought in to direct Mac and Me. He was uh, on board, but you know, they still didn't have a finished script for the movie. According to him, everyone was hired and ready to go make the movie, but there just wasn't a script to make one with. As I mentioned before, since the movie still had a charitable note to it, they brought in a kid to play the main role of Eric, who actually was in a wheelchair. He wasn't an actor, but he he seemed to really adapt well and um, kind of just dove headfirst into the whole process of being in a movie. All the pre-production was being done, and Raphael was overseeing this, but still trying to hammer out a script at night. Never a good sign when a movie's, you know, writing its script on the fly. They knew, again, that they were, you know, of course trying to replicate E.T., but they wanted to make sure it was sort of not blatantly obvious. The good news through all this was McDonald's was providing lunch on the set, so that's, that's a bonus. But that was for a few other reasons. <clears throat> McDonald's wanted to be on top of the production and they wanted to make sure certain things happen. They wanted the intention of the movie to promote their charities, but ultimately they wanted to make a movie that matched their brand in terms of tone and style. This means having the movie portray their fun, you know, wacky image that they showed in the commercials, hence that whole McDonald's dance scene. Even like the food had to look the right way. Even the dress code had to be up to their standards. Like they eventually started to take over the whole production. I'm honestly surprised this scene just wasn't taken and complete. You have to look it up on YouTube. Just look up Mac and me McDonald's dancing. And I'm honestly surprised they just didn't straight up use it 
um, for McDonald's. And this didn't occur to me till I was just like putting the details together for the show. I never made the connection between the character of Mac and the Big Mac. I like, I don't know how that went over my head. Um, you know, especially that you're watching basically a 90 minute McDonald's commercial. One more bizarre McDonald's request. They want, they did not want Ronald McDonald to appear in the film, which very weird, but um, we know how that went again in referencing that insane dance scene because Ron McDonald's in it. Eventually the uh, producers of the movie said the use of Ronald McDonald was an artistic choice. Fun fact, Jennifer Aniston's very first movie role is in Mac and me and she's in that dance scene. So <clears throat> look, look for that. I also never realized this, but the score of the movie was created by the iconic Alan Silvestri, who, of course, brought us the Back to the Future movies. Um, yeah, I don't know if this how much effort he put into this thing, but just the fact that he's involved is pretty crazy, too. Again, a lot of these people involved with the movie, they really thought they had the next E.T. on their hands. So I can I can see the, the involvement in that way. So just a few things. How would they make Mac different than E.T.? They were clearly going in the same direction as E.T., but what were they doing to differentiate the two? The first was to make sure that Mac did not resemble E.T. in any way. I, you know, I guess they accomplished that. I mean, there's only so many ways you can create an alien appearance, but, you know, he definitely did look different. Different. They also had the choice to include Mac's family throughout the movie, with them all being reunited in the end to become American citizens. So... That's a difference. Mac also had some unique and different powers compared to E.T., including being able, being able to revive the dead. Uh, Mac also had the ability to ride a bike compared to E.T., who had to sit in a basket. Mac also had some physiological differences, and his body was like looked like it was made of silly putty. That allowed him to extend in different directions, like an alien stretch Armstrong. This They actually had to uh, approve this uh, with... Um, Amblin Entertainment and whatever they came up with seemed good enough to not totally infringe on the rights of E.T. And it was given the green light by Steven Spielberg and producer Kathleen Kennedy. So now the movie is out there. And how did it do? Not good. It did not do good. But I think you probably already knew that. The first problem, probably, you know, among many problems, is they decided to release it on one of the biggest summers in movie history. It had to compete against Big, Cocktail, Die Hard, Bull Durham, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Coming to America, A Fish Called Wanda, Rambo 3, and Crocodile Dundee 2. Just on the weekend it opened, it was going against Big, Die Hard, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like three iconic, gigantic movies. The thing was, though, that again, they were just brimming with overconfidence because the movie actually did surprisingly well with test audiences, like, like very well. And then I'm not sure what happened here. I think maybe it's just the select scenes they were deciding to show them or, you know, pre-edits or, or whatever. But um, the thing is now some big studios actually wanted back on board with this thing too. They wanted to release Mac and me and that went to Orion who is sadly no longer with us, but they, fi- <laughs> they finally put it out there. Critics detested it. 
Um, the fact that it resembled ET so closely could not be ignored. They also could not ignore that this was a 90 minute product placement meant to appease McDonald's Coke as well. Even Sears is a big among many others like Skittles is in this um, bounty paper towel. You like you name it. You just have to sit through this and see everything. But primarily it's McDonald's Coke and Sears. Rest in peace, Sears. Everyone seemed to look past the fact that they cast um, a disabled person. Uh, they look past the fact about the charitable tie-ins with the Ronald McDonald house. It was There was just too much commercialism in the movie to give it any merit. Um, so that was the critical response, response to it. But the crowd stayed away too. Partly, you know, the negative reviews, but, you know, just the massive amount of competition out there. <clears throat> and the studio genuinely thinking they had the next DT on their hands and being that confident to put it among these blockbuster movies. Mac and me would make only $6.4 million against a budget of around 13 million, making it obviously a financial failure. So what about that final scene that I mentioned earlier and how it really ended? So this seems to only have come up in the last few years, but the original intend intended ending of Mac and me was way darker despite how it did end with <laughs> kid having to be brought back to life. But the movie, you know, somehow it endured and it found a bit of a second life on home video became, I don't know. I don't want to say a cult classic. I mean, I don't, that's insulting to cult classic movies. Like I consider maybe Howard the duck, a cult classic, like a terrible movie, but something about it. And I don't know. I don't think Mac and me has earned that status. I don't know. Maybe you think it has, but that's, I don't know, different discussion. But basically what you have probably seen, if you've seen this movie was not the original version. This was reported. I found this through, where was this Gizmodo? They discovered an alternate Japanese version of the movie, a home video release that had the different ending scene with Eric, which was a lot more graphic. So the scene where the explosion happens, I, I don't know how this got crossed over. Like maybe had a result of the test audiences and whatnot, but the scene with the explosion wasn't the original in, intention for the ending. The other version that is out on these different forms of video has Eric straight up shot in the chest and killed. Mac obviously saves Eric in the theatrical version. We have to assume the same thing happens here. Um, again, because it's just a different ending altogether. You can find clips of this floating around. It's tough to find on YouTube. You can, if you search on Twitter, you can maybe find it. It's, you know, it's, it's not as graphic as like saving private Ryan, but it's still a kid getting shot to death in a family movie that again is a McDonald's tie in, uh, promotion. So I don't know. I don't think they were going to promote that in their happy meal. So start winding it down a bit here. What are the way, how do you look back on this movie? Like, what are the ways to look at it? There, there's a few, I think, you know, is, is it a blatant ripoff? Is it extremely well-intentioned? Is it a straight up failure? Is it a cult classic? Is it um, ahead of its time with the advent of the commercial crossover? I don't know. It depends how you see it. It, it though it's still regarded as one of the worst movies ever made and still holds a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Product, like I touched on before, product placement is obviously obviously alive and well in most forms of entertainment. But since Mac and Me was a trial run of sorts, they just didn't seem to nail it. Again, you know, it might have a bit of that cult-like appeal and it, it found a bit of a home audience on home video. But um, 
you know, de- it depends if you think that's a success or not. The fact that they were talking about it right now maybe means it is a little bit of one, but um, there's just, there's so many <laughs> things against it. If you were never aware of Mac and me, you're probably like i said at least a f- maybe a fan of paul rudd and seeing that that hilarious running gag that you've probably seen clips of online all the time with the uh showing the hill wheelchair scene um instead of the clip from his movie and mac saving the kid i think everyone's seen that and maybe not you didn't know which movie that was from uh, the time he first pulled it off was in february 6 2004 when he pretended to show a clip from the last episode of friends and actually fooled Conan O'Brien. Um, and then the next time he fooled him again, and then it just became this running gag. Up to 15 years now, that that joke has still been made. So Mac and Me exists as this sort of weird study on how movies are made. It had great intentions, but it just ended up going off the rails. It relied too heavily on the fact that they thought people wanted another E.T. or they wanted more of E.T. and they wanted it in a different form. And ultimately, people just couldn't get get past the egregious commercial content. So, I mean, if anything, they sort of paved the way for how not to do a cross-promotion and product placement. So maybe it has that going for it. Again, if this is one of your favorites, I apologize. Like if you discovered it later and you were able to enjoy it without being aware of all the issues, then, you know, everyone's got the movie like that. That means something to them. But if they had the chance to go back and revisit how this whole thing was made, I think it could have actually turned into something good because again, of all those intentions, um, because they were, you know, capitalizing on something popular, but trying to take it in a new direction. Um, they would have dialed down the McDonald's stuff and the Coke, but again, they were sort of at the mercy of McDonald's who was, you know, sort of calling the shots as they went. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a kind of interesting case study in all these, this form of uh, commerce meets entertainment. So I'll finish it there. Hopefully you enjoyed this or maybe you go watch it again or track it down. I think you can get it on. I think you can actually buy it or rent it on YouTube video, but yeah, see see what you think of it. Uh, thanks for listening, though. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't, uh, please subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. All the kids are doing it, you know, whether it's Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, I should be there. But I will be back soon with a brand new episode. Don't you dare miss it.